Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word and time, our time of fellowship?
towards us, Father. <laughs> that your love endures forever. Jesus. Jesus. God, there's none like you. 
You alone, Father, are worthy of our praise, Lord. God, You know where we've been. God, You know what we're going through. And yet, God, You continue to pursue us. God, that You're pleased to reveal Yourself to us through Your Son, Jesus. That those who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus would be saved. That, God, that they would be at peace with You. No longer your enemy. God, you've made a way through Christ for them to be reconciled back to you. To be engrafted in to your kingdom, to your family. Oh God, how I pray that God, we would not just have a head knowledge of it. But God, it would truly be our identity. God, that we would be people who have been born again of the Spirit, God, that our eyes have been opened and our ears hear, and God, that we've been filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Oh, God, is great news, Lord. Our King has come. God, you've come to redeem mankind. And Father, we look forward to your return to gather those, Father, who belong to you. And God, may we be those who belong to you, yes. God. And if there's any among us today, God, or will be listening later on the podcast, God, that they are not yours. God, I pray that they would be humbled. That you would humble them, Father. And that they would come to salvation in Christ and in Christ alone. And so, Father, we thank you for the time in your word. Yes. Pray, God, that our hearts will be of good soil to receive it. God, it will take root and produce lasting fruit, Father. So protect us, Lord Jesus, by the name in which you've been given, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning. Good morning. So application, sustained effort, hard work. From the root word, apply, to give one's full attention to a task, to work hard. And so this is our word for the year. As I pray for myself and I pray for us and those who listen to the podcast, I know it's repetitive. I know it's the same thing every Sunday to open up our time. But oh God, how we need to hear it. And oh, how I pray that you're going through the week praying, asking the Holy Spirit (laughs) Growing and maturing through application of God's Word in your life. The living Word of God. It's application, sustained effort, hard work. It's not just a one-time prayer. No, it's a lifestyle. It is who you are. It is that process in which He he has begun in us to bring about His purpose and His plan. Ultimately, it's all for Him. It's all for Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's no longer you who live. But it's Christ living in and through us. We recognize in coming to Christ who we were. We were His enemy. The Bible is very clear. Where does sin come from? It comes from the desires that are from within. All of us were born into that nature. But God is so pleased to reveal Himself to mankind through Christ. God's redemptive story 
from the beginning to the end. You've heard it over and over. God's plan and his purpose that he will have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. They will have no other God before him. <laughs> they will not seek the temporal things of this earth. And I've told you over the past couple of weeks, I, I, get, I chuckle, I laugh at the thought of myself and then us and then just mankind, the created, that we're just chasing after dust. I mean, really, that's all we're chasing. We're trying to find in that old nature, we're trying to find purpose in dust. Rather be relationships, rather be material things. Like, we're, we're searching and we're longing. But that searching and that longing to be a part of is something that God has placed within each of us because it's a longing for Him. Because there's nothing in this temporal world that will ever satisfy us. That's why we keep searching. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Go to Psalm 90 real quick. Here it's not in the notes, but just in case you're wondering why I laugh and I chuckle that we're just chasing after dust. Psalm 90. Hands want to work. It's all ninety. Lord, through all generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to the end, you are God. You turn people back to dust. Mm. <laughs> Saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as, as passing a day, as brief as few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that spring up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. Mm. And this is what we're longing for. In the temporalness of life, that's the old nature. That's the flesh in which we are born into. This nature. That is that war, we are an enemy of God. And yet God is so pleased to reveal himself to us, to this creation that is at war with him. But he's pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus, to reconcile us back to him. That we might be born again. Of a new nature. Born of the Spirit. Finally whole. Finally free. <laughs> finally at peace with our Creator. Not because of anything we've done. But all because of what Christ has accomplished. 
so, it's bigger than just religion. Like this is the living God who sent forth His Son to redeem mankind. And I keep telling you, the application in which I'm speaking, the application in which I'm encouraging and challenging them to grow so that you don't end up by, by the end of December the same as you've been. And I keep encouraging us. Like, especially if you call yourself a Christian. If your Christian life is the same as it was yesterday, if it's the same as it was a month ago, a year ago, something is wrong with your Christianity. We're actually making a mockery of God. Because He's an all-powerful God. When one surrenders their life to Him, He transforms. That's grace. The power to transform. Grace isn't what mankind has made it, the license to keep sinning. No, it's the power to transform your life. You are a new creation. All things are made new. And it is a process of sanctification. We're not perfected until we're with Him, but until then, we're growing, we're maturing. That's why it's hard work. That's why it's sustained effort. You get up each day as a Christian. You've been born of the Spirit of God now. God in you to accomplish what God has purposed for you even before you showed up on this earth. He formed you. He fashioned you. The Bible said that He's prepared good works for you to do. For His glory. For His kingdom. Because that's what it's all about. His kingdom. His glory. And so application. So as we've heard these past six months, applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book, an impractical collection of old manuscripts. That is why Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself is with us. The degree in which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is a degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the Word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. Remember, we just can't be hearers of the Word. We have to be doers of the Word. We can't be like that man who looks intently into the mirror and then turns around and forgets what, what he looks like. And the Word of God is the mirror that we're to be intently looking into. Who am I now? How then shall I live? I know how I would live if Rob was in charge. If my desires, if I gave in to everything and anything, I know what I would do and how I would be living. But God, you have been pleased to reveal yourself to me. I wasn't even looking for you. But God, you were pleased to reveal yourself to me. So then God, how do I live? Because I don't know. It has to be bigger than just showing up and then going out. <laughs> coming in and then going out and just holding a form of religion. I knew that which God has begun. And you can speak for yourself. 
But as for me, I knew that which God had begun in me was so much bigger than my church attendance. And following the rules and the laws and the rules and the laws and the ups and the downs. No, 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 no. All of that's part of my Christian life. But that's not making me (laughs) any better in the eyes of God or making Him love me even more. Because He loved me when I was His enemy. (laughs) And He loves me and He's pleased to reveal Himself to me not because of anything of me, but because of Christ. And so Jesus then, how do we live? Jesus tells us, follow me. Follow me. If you're going to be my disciple, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Jesus also tells him, you've heard me say this over and over and over. He tells him, consider the cost. He tells them, don't even, don't even come at me. Until you consider the cost, because it's going to cost you everything. Like, they're going to hate you. You're not going to be welcomed in society. Because they didn't welcome me and they hate me. You're going to be pushed out. But I brought you in. You see, it's a whole different mindset and a shift in thinking and living. Because we're living as kingdom people now. Not worldly people. We're not trying to make our home here. Because we're going home. We're just passing through. And so we have to look intently into the Word of God. Truly see who we are now as we see Him ultimately for who He is. And then to know whom we've been given. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's God. He's God in you. Giving you the power to live for God. To honor God. To love God. This is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. In and of yourself, you can't, but He can through you. And that's why the Bible says He's giving you everything you need to live a godly life. That's why this life now is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And I've got nothing, and you've got nothing to hide from Him because He already knows all. He sees all. And that's why we can humble ourselves before Him. And that's why I keep encouraging you all, you have not because you've asked not. You say, well, I don't have that type of passion and love for God. Well, have you asked Him for it? Instead of judging people who do? Like to truly seek Him. Like you wouldn't conjure up within yourself to say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus today. In and of yourself, you wouldn't do that if it was really a genuine desire for you. No, God starts this. And He finishes it. Like what He begins, He is faithful to complete. We are the works of His hands. 
And I told you, one of my favorite prayers I've prayed for 20 some odd years now walking with Christ, especially in those hard days, is that God, your word says that you would not neglect the work of your hands. And Father, I'm the work of your hands. So I will not be shaken in this moment. See, I don't know how you're talking to yourself, but that's why you need the word of God. This is who you are now. This is how you're living now. It's sustained effort. It's hard work because everything out there, this realm, this realm, the world system, and then everything in here that's of that old nature is at odds with your new creation. And you think you're just going to roll out of bed and get through the day and stamp Jesus on your forehead. No, no, no. There's a way in which we are called to live, y'all. And that's why I try to keep encouraging, not just when I say church, not just us, but the church at large, is that we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. We're living in the hour and a day. It's unlike anything the earth has seen before. And I keep telling you all, the earth is shaking. But those who are in Christ were rooted. Let everything around us shake. Because we're part of a kingdom, the Word of God says, that cannot be shaken. So we don't have to fear. We don't have to give in and give up and run away or go back. No, we just stand. That's why I love it when the Word of God says, after you've done all you know to do, then stand and stand therefore then. This is application, you all. This is what I'm trying to encourage us in, that you're growing, that you're maturing. It's vital. Not because I say it is, because the Word of God says it is. The Word of God says to be producing. Now remember, your works, your salvation is not based on your works because salvation is only through Christ. But your salvation brings forth works. And you're pleased to do them. They're not burdensome. Following Christ is not burdensome. Before Christ, oh it is. Trying to be religious is burdensome. Your old nature And trying to put on something that you're really not, it is a burden. It's torment. But when you're free, you all, the Bible says, He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Are you understanding the freedom, the liberty that you have in Christ? Not to go back and use that freedom to indulge in your sinfulness, in your flesh. No. It's to serve Christ and to serve others. And so we're not to be looking longingly back. No, our gaze is to be lifted up. Because He's coming back at any time. So application, you all. 
It implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And it also serves to sharpen our discernment. And I keep telling you all by six months now, you should be able to finish this line. Helping us to better distinguish between good and evil. And oh, how we need that today. And in the days to come. Because everything's opposite day. Everything of this earth is opposite of the kingdom ways and how we're called to live. Again, this realm, this realm, and that old nature is at odds with who you are because it is at odds with who has called you as his own. And you have got to get up. You can't stay shackled any longer. There is work to be done. Kingdom work to be done. And that's not going out there and acting a nut in front of people, as I keep saying to you all. But going out there and just living it. Building relationships. Knowing your identity. And just living it. Not cowering down. Honoring God. Loving God. To some you'll be a fragrance of life. To others you'll be a stench of death. And it's okay. Because ultimately it's not about you. It's about Him. Just give them Jesus. Share the gospel. Live your life. Oh, no one else is doing it. I feel I'm the odd one out. Well, then that's okay. I mean, Jesus is our example. And that's why he says, consider the cost. Because it's going to cost you everything. Everything, you all. Your life is to be laid down. This weird gospel that is being preached by demons. You know, the Bible says that, that especially in the last days, there would be many who would be led astray and they would begin to follow doctrines of demons. The church has always been infiltrated. But the true bride, she's not tainted. And she's not spotted with the crap from this world. She's pure. She's holy. She's set apart for who she belongs to. So let the image of the church be as it is. It doesn't take God by surprise. I mean, for goodness sakes, Jesus looked at the men who was running the church in his day and says, your father's the devil. And you travel far to win converts. But you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. But Jesus, come on. That's harsh, Jesus. Those are the Pharisees. Those are the Sadducees. Those are the men of God, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah. But they're not of me. Not of me. And today we see all this twistedness going on in the church community. Lies after lies after lies after lies. People chasing all types of teachings. And I told you last week, and I've been saying it over the past couple of weeks, I'm not impressed. With the size of the ministry, with the so-called anointing, 
especially if there's no character behind what's being portrayed. That's the issue I have have to deal with daily with people who call themselves Christians. I'm counseling people and I'm mentoring people, especially the youth. It's so broken for them. They have grown up in chaos in the form of the church. And their image of God is so distorted. And I go, God. Like, no, wait a minute. We have to have the right image of who he is. That's why we can't gain our theology from the world. We can't gain our theology from demons. We surely can't gain our theology from our flesh. No, we need God's word to be God's word. We don't add it. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. It is what it is. Because he is who he is. He doesn't change. This is God's word. And man, this study that we're doing on Friday nights, oh, I I wish I could just force all of y'all here (laughs) to hear this because it's so good. It's talking about the biblical worldview and how it's important for believers to know what we believe and whom we say we believe and how we should be living in our culture. Instead of hiding and hunkering down because everything's bad out there, no, 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 we're to be in it. We're to be sharing the gospel. We're to be living. We ought to be able to defend the faith. I'm not, again, not arguing and beating people down, but just being able to stand and share. I can listen to whoever. I'm not afraid they're going to influence me. Ooh, the dark demon's going to get me. Oh, not because I'm covered. I know that. So I could talk with them. And I can hear them out. And I'm as, I can pray, God, just give me an opportunity to plant that seed, to water it. Like I don't have to fight with them. But just the same respect as I'm giving them is the same respect I hope that they give me. And sometimes they don't. But sometimes they do. You know, I'll never forget this one woman I went and I sat down with. And some of you have heard this before. But I'll never forget. She was in the gay lifestyle. She, she ultimately thought that she needed to have surgery to become a man. And she hated the church. She hated pastors. She had such a hardness. And she would come and, and park right outside there at the church to pick up her gay lover who was sitting in here listening to the Word of God and feeling convicted that she needed to be set free. So she already had issues with me. But you know what? Every day I would go out there at the end of every service, hug her, shake her hand. Can I get you anything? Would you like to come in? But one opportunity finally I had a night to be over at the house to sit down with her at the table. And so she wanted to begin to tell me her issues with the church and with pastors and with Christians. Those were the issues I had with the church, 
with pastors and with Christians. But she didn't know. She was trying to think she was coming at me as someone who was built up in the institution that was just institution, institutionalized. Just religious. She was wounded. She was hurt. She was broken. My God, what the institution that calls itself the church has done to people? And this is what we're up against every single day. And you think you're just going to get out of bed and just go through your day. I'm going to call myself a Christian. But you understand the weight of that calling. It's not burdensome because, remember, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But you are out. You are called to go forth out to be a light now. To see people reconciled back to their God, back to their creator. So I listened. She was vile. She was angry. She was mad. And if she probably could hit me, she probably would have taken all that frustration out. So I let her finish. I said, can I share now? I want to respect her. I didn't want to come at her now. Maybe it wasn't the right time for me to share. Maybe she just needed to be heard. And there's times I've had to do that. I've asked people, okay, well, can I share? No, I don't want to hear from you. Okay, it's fine. It's not a problem. I, I really, I really appreciate you sharing your experience and who you are. She was gracious that night. You know what she said? She goes, "You always come outside. You don't have to." So I've gained a little respect for you. So you just got a few minutes. Tell me what you want to say. Let's begin to share with her. Just begin to share with her. And all of a sudden, I felt something. Her hand, not mine, her hand, reached over and grabbed mine. And as I was speaking, she was just holding it. And I shared with her everything God was giving me. My past, my present, who Christ is, the hope that's truly in Christ. And as I finished, I looked at her and I said, do you, do you realize what you're doing? She's like, what? I was like, you're holding a pastor's hand. She got this smile on her face. She's like, oh. God, pastor, did she accept Christ? No, she didn't that night. <laughs> I prayed that, pray that somehow, some way, she has, or ultimately she will before she takes her last breath. But the seed was sown. The seed was sown. It was watered. Everything that she held on to was shattered. Because all, all of a sudden there's this pastor that sat down and listened to her. That loved her enough to hear her and not make excuses. But to apologize, oh, that should have never happened. Do you know how many people I've sat with and have heard what they have had to endure in the institution that calls itself the church? A young man sitting right here. Tell me, pastor, loud, angry, where was God when the pastor was raping me behind the pulpit? This is what we're dealing with. 
and the Sunday school pastor, before he went out, where was God at? Who was protecting me when he was passing me on from men to men to men in the church? When I had to hear a young lady come up here and tell me how the youth minister or how the worship leader's pastor began to abuse her and just nonsense that you hear that goes on, and not just in the church buildings, but in Christian homes, and so-called Christian homes. And this is what we are up against. And you say, well, this isn't a, a, a kumbaya message, Pastor. No, no, I'm trying to pray for us that we would awaken to understand the reality of what we are called to do as Christians. You've got this realm that's actively engaging to destroy mankind. You've got the world system that is actively engaging and trying to destroy mankind. And then you have mankind in itself of its old nature, of, 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 of the flesh that is actively engaging Destroying itself. I've always told you because the word of God gives us clarity and understanding. The flesh only knows how to do one thing. And that's to die. That's why it drags you to the stuff that's killing you. And yet we celebrate it. And we fight to do it. I said, well, you want to keep fighting to... to that you, I was there, all right, go do what you want. But do you realize what you're fighting and who you're fighting against? I mean, in the end, you can't blame him. You're not going to stand before him and be able to point your finger at him as what he's done wrong. When there's no error found in him, the error is found in us. He is a God who redeems. He's a God who heals. He's a God who restores. This is our God, you all. We have the greatest story to go tell. Do you know him? Are you sharing? Are you engaging? Are you applying the truths in which you're hearing? Because... You all should know this line. We're to be the people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. This is who we are. Go to 1 John 1, 7. 1 John. Scriptures I want to give you in hopes to encourage you in applying the Word of God. 1 John 1, 7. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's carry on through verse 8 through 10. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing his word has no place in our hearts. 
We are to be living in the light. God is light, you all. And no darkness can ever extinguish the light. We all, before Christ, if you're truly a Christian, <laughs> before Christ, we're all darkened. But when you come to Christ, It's a whole new world. Light. Light. You're not going to settle for that, which produces darkness. Nothing good will ever come from it, so we don't keep going back. No, we press on. We press on. We persevere. Because we understand that perseverance produces character and character ultimately produces hope and that hope is in Jesus. And that hope in Jesus will never disappoint you. Well, my circumstances aren't getting any better. Well, take your eyes off your circumstances and get them on Jesus. Because if your hope is in that, oh, my circumstances need to change. Oh, they'll change. As you keep your eyes on Jesus... As I've worked over the years with people, I tell them, if nothing changes, is he still God? Because if you're coming at him just to fix your life, then you're coming at him with the wrong desires and the wrong motives. Have you not first seen that you're the one who's messed up your life because of your old nature, because you're a sinner? Because you're choosing to make choices and decisions that aren't honoring him. Oh, what? What? No, do you understand? When you give your life to Christ, you're born again. You begin to mature, you begin to grow, you begin to shift your thinking. Because what does the Bible say? How does he transform us? By changing the way we think, by renewing our minds. Again, the man that stands before you in and of himself, ah, his mind is schizophrenic. It's a nut. I'm a nut. Darkened. Been to the depths of darkness. But God. You say, oh, that's nice, that's for you, bro. But you're just as dark. Because you're just as worse sinner than I was. Well, I didn't do what you did, no. But you're still a sinner. <laughs> well, I didn't, you know. Doesn't matter. You understand, God hates sin. Because he understands what sin does. And yet we're fighting against the only one who can redeem us, the only one who can save us, the only one who has defeated sin and death. We're fighting him because we want to stay bound to sin and death. God, help us. That's how we're going to be living differently, you all. We've got to be excited. doesn't mean that you're going to be floating on clouds every day. No, you're going to go through life. But if life keeps battling, battling, battling up against you, can you still stand? Can you still fix your eyes upon Him? And can you still serve? Amen. 
Because I told you about those women, and you said, how oh, you keep telling the same stories? So maybe you need to hear it again. Because it hasn't done anything for you yet to provoke anything in you to humble you. These women in India who live in the dumps. That class system over there that they run, those women will never get out of the dumps. Especially now if they're Christians. But missionaries are going into the dumps. Bringing the light in. These women who live in huts that are made from the garbage come to Christ. And they're up sweeping their little huts like they've never done before. Putting things in order because they want to invite other women in to sit down with them. Let's make what we have presentable. They don't make excuses. I'll have nothing. I'll have nothing. I just have this trash. Use what God is giving you yes. for His glory. Come on, brother. They'll never come out of it until Jesus calls them home. But while they're there, ha! They're His hands and His feet. Because those people in that dump need Jesus. <laughs> and if God started taking all those women out, who's going to be left there to give them Jesus? So they make the best of what they have. Sweeping and cleaning, cooking a little scraps that they would just... That they're, I mean, you understand, they're starving. But they would invite others in to feed them. Just have an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And you're just going to roll out of bed. Just get through your day. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is the gospel. This is our king. This is who we're supposed to be. The people of God doing the will of God for the glory of God. And praise be to God if your circumstances do change. And you begin to prosper in ways that you've never prospered before. Here's the news. It's not for you. It's for you to give. It's for you to sow in then even more to the kingdom. It's for you to give and give abundantly. Instead of hoarding everything in. What is your motives for wanting change? in yourself and in your circumstances. Because if it's not ultimately for the glory of God, <laughs> then you're making a mockery of God. God is like you all. And so, that's how you're to be living. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> Hebrews 12, verse 1. We're going to watch myself today. Alright, alright, alright. Great job, brother. Let me hear Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And look at this. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Oh, I'm going to go on. Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates, or, come on, and perfects our faith. 
Because of joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, ha, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. This is our God. As the song is as we worship this morning. This is our song. This is who He is. I mean, this is our God. This is who He is. And we talked about this verse last week. So many people sitting in their mess. God just take it away from me. I just keep praying. It's been 10 years. God won't take it away, but I'll just keep praying. Ah. Come on. Do you understand that mindset is <coughs> not one birth of the Spirit of God? Oh, it's birth of the Spirit, all right, but it ain't of God. <coughs> oh, God, just take it away. Listen. Remember Jesus' words of the cross. It is finished. And I love this verse. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. It doesn't say, sit and mutter and putter. God, just take it away. God, just take it away. God, just take it away. Why don't you start believing he's already accomplished what he set out to do? Come on then, brother. He's already defeated sin and death. So if he's telling you as a believer, I don't care if you're wet behind the ears newborn or a senior saint, if he's telling you, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you, get up and throw it off. Oh, but I still feel it. Get up and throw it off. But it's still there. Get up and throw it off. Application, sustained effort, hard work. One day, all of a sudden, you'll be like, whoa, oh, I'm free. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you and the 20 steps they laid out before you. Amen. But what Christ has done through the cross, and ultimately through the resurrection. Come on, we're so, did you see? He's seated now. That's why I keep telling you, some of us are worshiping a God still in the tomb, still on the cross, still in the manger, still hoping he'll come. He's already come. He's coming again. And that's ultimately where our hope should be. This is final return. You ought to be worshiping and celebrating the resurrected Christ every day. Every day. It's nice to have our little Easter season, but it's every day. And it should be something that you're keeping before yourself. And allowing the Holy Spirit to bring forth from you this life. That's honoring God, but knowing that the world will not honor. The world will not honor what Christ is doing in your life, you all. I posted my friend Matthew, who lives over in Malta. His testimony was in court on Friday. He has to have more court dates. He's a young man who came to popularity on the X Factor show years ago over in Europe. And then he began to tell his testimony how God delivered him out of homosexuality. And boy, did he, or the rising star fell quickly. And he was fine with that, but he, kept, he stood for Christ. He didn't give up his testimony. He didn't give up what God did in his life to make it big. 
You took it for what it is, following Christ. Last year he was invited to come, as he's been over the years sharing his testimony. He, in Malta, he was invited to come to sit down and talk about Christ. In this interview, he was just sharing his testimony and what Christ has done. It offended people. It hurt people. So they arrested him. Now he has prison term ahead of him. Go see the joy in his face of the video I posted of him on our page. Pray for him. I'm like, oh man. If I flew, I would love to go to Malta. (laughs) Be able to stand with my brother. Like, wow. He hasn't given up. He hasn't given in. You know? Like he's honoring Christ. He's trusting Christ. I mean, for goodness sakes, a preacher up in Pennsylvania. I mean, he may not have been a preacher, he may have just been a Christian standing on the street, sharing the word of God. I was arrested this week. I mean, come on. Because the crowd didn't like what he was saying. And I know people say, oh, then you're just an extremist. And I keep telling you, it's not about me being an extremist because I'm a realist. Because this is what the Bible says. This is what's coming. Like it has to in order for him to return. We're going to be pushed out of society. And that's why the culture, the institution that calls itself the church is trying to adapt to society. Oh, it's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's good. We'll celebrate this and that and this and that. And we'll all just continue to go the way we're going. And we're making them twice as much the son of hell. I mean, do you understand? And I know hell isn't, you know, they they wrote a book years ago that hell, erase hell. (laughs) We're not supposed to talk about hell. But do you understand Jesus talked about it? You understand it's a real place. And you're never getting out. <laughs> like, ever. Like for eternity. Torment. How can a loving God? Ah, come on. How can a loving God not give you what you've demanded your whole life of Him? doesn't send people to hell. He gives you what you want. That is your master. He has revealed himself time and 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 time again so that when you stand before him, there's no error in him. He can look at you and say, depart from me. You worker of sin, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And by God, we ought to love people enough, and I keep telling you all this, you ought to love people enough to tell them the truth, to share the truth, to care more about their eternities than we do their temporalness. I don't want to offend, but the gospel offends. 
It offended you. If it hasn't, I don't think you heard the gospel. Because again, we're talking about a nature that we all are before Christ, that we're born into, and yet God's redemptive plan and story of sending his own son to redeem us, to bring us back to himself. Oh, that's beautiful, you all. So there's a way in which we're called to live. And I want Carrie, I posted something today, and I want Carrie to play it for us. I I just want you to hear this preacher preach. (laughs) And then we're going to get back in the Word. Playing from Carrie's iPhone. One day, each and every one of you will stand naked before a holy God and you will be judged. Life and death, heaven and hell. Some of you will hear my voice and go to heaven when you die. And others of you will hear warning after warning after warning and you will not listen and you will die under the wrath of God and spend eternity in hell. Young people, listen to me. And you need to be very, very careful. This Christianity is not a cultural thing. This Christianity is is not something that just should be a small part of your life. It is not something that you do on Sunday. Christianity is not about you living in the world six days a week and coming to church. Christianity is not about you being just like the world all the time and then coming to church on Sunday. If that is your Christianity, you have no Christianity. You are not Christian. Young people, let me ask you a question. How do you know that you're Christian? How do you know that you have truly come to know Christ? How do you know that if you died right now, you would go to heaven and be accepted by the Almighty before His throne? How do you know? You say, well, it's all of grace. Yes, it is all of grace. We are not saved by works. We are saved by grace. We are saved by believing the promises of the gospel. That is true. But what you need to understand is grace is a powerful thing. That he who has given you grace to repent and believe gives you grace to continue repenting and to continue believing. He who gives you grace to believe unto justification also will give you grace for your sanctification. That you might grow in holiness. As a matter of fact, listen to me. One of the greatest evidences that you have truly believed in Christ and the salvation is that God has begun a good work of sanctification in you. He works and works and works to make you holy. Now let me ask you, is that a reality in your life? But can you honestly tell me that your great desire is to be holy? Can you honestly tell me that your great desire is not to be like the world? To not be like what you see here in the West and many other places, but to be like Jesus Christ? Can you tell me that? Because if you cannot, you should be afraid. You should be very afraid. Those who love the world do not have the love of the Father. God's motive for saving people is not found in that people. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When a holy God looks at sinful men, the only thing their sin motivates God to do is judge them, to condemn them. 
So if God is going to save men, it is not because of men. It is in spite of men. God does not save us because we deserve to be saved. God saves us because He is a Savior. God does not love us because we deserve to be loved. We do not deserve the love of God. We deserve His wrath. God saves us because He Himself is love. When a church lowers the standard of the gospel in order to get more people to come in, when a church does not preach on holiness and what it means to be truly converted, then Christianity in the church fills up with a lot of ungodly people, and because of their actions, the unbelieving world blasphemes the name of God. But what we need to understand is that the people who claim to know Christ and yet live in a way that contradicts the word of Christ and the character of Christ, they are not Christian. We are saved by faith alone. We are not saved by works. But what you need to understand is that a person who has been truly saved has been born again. They have become a new creature. God has done a tremendous work in them to demonstrate His power. He has made them into new creatures with new affections, new desires to serve Christ and to be holy. Has He done that to you? Let me ask you a question. Do you look at the world and long to be like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, have the world's respect and the world's esteem? If you're that way, you ought to be terrified because that just could be evidence that God has not done a work in you. If God's power cannot be seen in your life, leading you to greater and greater holiness, then maybe there is no power of God in your life. That He has not regenerated your heart. You are not born again. You are not a Christian. Because He says, I am going to save people. Why? To demonstrate to the world how powerful I am, not only in saving their souls, but in transforming their lives. Is God transforming your life? Christians are not sinless. Christians are not perfect. Christians will struggle with sin, and Christians can even fall. But in the midst of that weakness, it will be evident that God is working, God is teaching, God is disciplining, and God is bringing them to greater and greater heights of Christian maturity and holiness. Is that you? Since you profess faith in Christ, are your desires for Christ growing? Are your desires for holiness growing? Is God's power in transforming your life evident? Are you becoming less and less like the world and more and more like Christ? Or are you becoming more and more like the world? When God truly saves a person, what does He do? He begins to work in them. With what purpose? To pull them out of the world. To pull them out of worldliness. To pull them out of sin. And to bring them to Himself. Now let me ask you a question. Is that obvious in your life? Do you see God working in your life to get more and more of the world out of you? And is God drawing you more and more to Himself? and conformity to His image. 
if you have truly believed in Christ and the salvation, then God will be working in you to make you holy. If there is no evidence that God is working in you to make you holy, there is a good chance that you have not truly been converted. When God saves a person, He is cutting them off. From what? From the world. What is the world? Everything in, on this planet, every idea, every thought, every word, every action that contradicts God's will and God's nature. Everything on this earth that opposes God. When God truly saves a person, He cuts them off from that and He begins to separate them little by little, changing their life, getting the worldliness out of their life and drawing them unto Himself. Holiness means to be separated from the world. Christian, one of the purposes of the scriptures is to teach us what God hates so that we will run away from it. Make no mistake, there can be no friendship with God and the world. And between the believer, there can be no friendship between the believer and the world. If God is truly working in you, He is going to use His Word and the power of His Spirit to do what? To reveal to you what is wrong in this world and to draw you away from it. If you want God, you're going to have to let go of the world. And if you do not want to let go of the world because you love the world, then know this, the love of the Father is not in you. I know how deadly my culture is. You live in a land full of all kinds of things that glitter, but they're not gold. You live in a land full of all kinds of promises that are lies. You live in a land that will do everything in its power to turn you away from Christ. But you live in a land that tells you you can have God and the world too. You live in a land that tells you you can love the world and love Christ. And I want you to know it is a lie. It is a lie. Do not think I'm trying to be angry. Do not think I'm trying to have a mean spirit. I am saying this to save you from the monster that has killed more people than any political tyrant that has ever ruled this land, this planet. If you love the world, be afraid. Because that could just be an evidence God has never worked in you. You have never believed unto salvation. You have never truly been converted. Because if He truly saves you, He who began a good work in you will finish it. Remember, God saves people to demonstrate how powerful He is. And so if He begins a work in you, He will finish it. I want you to know that if God has brought you from the condemnation of sin, if He has truly saved you, if He has truly justified you, then the evidence of it is He will continue working in you to transform you. Why? Because every Christian is a demonstration of God's power. He is going to finish the work He has begun because His reputation depends upon it. Can you say, can you prove that since the moment of your conversion, there is evidence that God is working in your life to make you holy. Can you see that? Can you tell me that you are truly a Christian because when you look at the world and it maybe deceives you and draws you to it, that God comes and disciplines you. That when you participate in sin, you can't stand it because the Holy Spirit is so convicting you. Or can you simply call yourself Christian 
and yet look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, do everything the world does. One of the things that the Lord will do when He has truly saved a person is again, He will begin to do a work of cleansing them. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ, we are justified and we are right with God through faith. But if we have truly believed, God is going to begin to do a lifetime work of sanctification in us, of changing us, of cleansing us from all our filthiness and from all our idols. And I want you to know something. He can do it. He is sovereign over the believer. And He can work in that believer's life to make that believer clean. One of the evidences, young people, that you truly belong to God, that He truly is your Father, is that He is involved in your life to make you clean. If you have truly been converted, God has a claim on you. You belong to Him. He has to change you for His own glory, and He is going to change you because He loves you. He is not going to let you stay the way that you were. And He has the power to change you. If you can live in sin, live in the world, with all your worldly friends, doing all your worldly things, and you can get away with it, and there's no conviction of the Spirit, there's no discipline from God, it is evidence that you are an illegitimate child. You are not truly a child of God. If you love the sensuality of the world, and you love all its boasting, its pride of the eyes, and its, its boasting in the flesh, and all the things that glitters in this world, and you can participate in it, the discipline of the Father, it's because the Father is not your Father. The goal of God in your life is not prosperity, it's not health, it's not wealth, and it's most certainly not your best life now. God's goal, if you belong to Him as a child, is to make you holy, to conform you to the image of Christ. He will cleanse you from your filthiness. He will cleanse you from your idols. And He will be very zealous in doing that. He will do anything that is necessary to make you conform to the image of His Son. Is He doing that in your life? The evidence that you are truly converted is not that one time in your life you prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to come in. The evidence that you are converted is that one time in your life you repented of your sins and you continue repenting today. The evidence that you're saved is one time you believed in the salvation and you continue believing today. The evidence that you're converted is that one time God began a good work in you and He continues working in you today. Changing your life. Transforming you by His power. My dear friend, when the Apostle Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, have you become a new creature? When you fall into sin, does it break your heart and afflict you? Or do you love it? Do you relish it? We were born and by nature, we were sinners. We did not want the good food of God. We would rather have the sin and the disgrace, the debauchery of this world. We ran to it, we fed on it, we ate it, we loved it, we desired it. But when a person is converted, what does God do? He changes them into a new creation. 
a new heart recreated in the image of God in true righteousness and true holiness. And with that new heart, they have new desires and they can no longer stomach the sin of this world. And they're ashamed that they ever participated in it. And they begin to walk no longer as a sinner, but begin to learn to walk as a saint. Is this you? Has God changed your heart? Does He continue changing your heart? Do you long to be free from the filth of this world? Do you long to be like Christ? If you can say yes, that is a great evidence that you have been born again. First Peter chapter 4. We're going to read through, Carrie, these aren't in the notes. Verses 1 through 11. Again, to encourage us in applying the truth of God's Word. Remember, application, sustained effort, hard work. How then now should you be living? Living for God, you all. Listen to this scripture. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you, who? You, must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You've had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Oh, perk up, here verse 4. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who will judge everyone both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. Ah, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, with that understanding, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything, then everything, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever and amen. Listen, this is the Christian life, you all. You're truly a Christian. And if you're not, then I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know what's out there that's even worth holding on to. 
when Christ himself is revealed to you. And God himself, through Christ, longs to redeem you back to himself. Your creator, you all. Last week, we started prophecies concerning Christ. So we finished the attributes of God that we were in for a while. We finished the Heidelberg Catechism. So here's yet another tool that I want to kind of give you all in hopes that you're taking away and sitting down and praying through and reading through. These are the prophecies that concern Christ. But I want to go back and kind of read kind of the description concerning prophecy that I shared with you last week. So prophecy is important. It shows God's control over history and that he predicts, I'm sorry, and that what he predicts does come to pass. He is in control of his plan and his purpose. He will have a people that he will call his own and they will call him their God. Prophecy proves the integrity of scripture. It protects us from false teaching. Oh, I love this. And it prepares us for the last days. So we started with three last week. I got three more for you. I'm going to give you the description. And then I'm going to show you where it was mentioned prophetically in the word of God. And then I'm going to show you where it was fulfilled in the word of God. So the first scripture, I mean, the first description today is he is to be the promised seed of Jacob. So go to Numbers 24. Numbers 24, verse 17. Again, the prophecy concerning Christ. He's to be the promised seed of Jacob. Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the foreheads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheath. Go to Luke 24. I'm sorry, Luke 3, 34. The fulfillment of this. Luke 3, verse 34. Judah was the son of Jacob. And now this is the lineage, what we're reading a part of, is the lineage of Christ. So here's the fulfillment. Verse 34. Judah was the son of Jacob, and Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the son of Terah. Terah was the son of Nahor. Came from Jacob. He's a promised seed of Jacob. Go to Genesis 49, the next one. The next description. He, Christ, will descend from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49, verse 10. He would descend from the tribe of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. 
the one whom all nations will honor. Let's go back to Luke chapter 3, and now we're looking at verse 33. Fulfillment of this prophecy. Nashon was the son of Adimadad. Adimadad was the son of Admin. Admin was the son of Arnin. Arnin was the son of Hezron. Hezron was the son of Perez. Perez was the son of Judah. Finally, the last description, this prophecy concerning Christ, he's to be an heir to the throne of David. Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. He's to be an heir to the throne of David. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. I went on to verse 2, but verse 1 is where it was fulfilled, and we see that Christ Jesus is a descendant of David. So these three descriptions of prophecies concerning Christ and where they are fulfilled in the Word of God. Carrie has 1 Chronicles chapter 26. We're going to walk through, we're going to end with our portion of scriptures, walking us through scriptures in hopes that we get to know our God, see Him for truly who He is, how great He is, and the life that He's called us to live, ultimately for His glory. So 1 Chronicles chapter 26 we're going to have to hear verse 1, but actually our reading is to be verse 12 through 27, 34. And again, I just want to remind us, I know it can kind of get boring reading through names and, and reading through Chronicles. It's, I've studied that they say that it's one of the least read books, but I want to encourage you all, don't get bored, perk up. I'm not reading it because I'm not going to butcher all those names, so that's why I have Carrie play it. But it's important that we hear it. Because again, these are the people that have been in exile. They have lost their sense of identity, of who their God is, and their identity of who they are as his people. And now God is bringing them back into the land, and he's reminding them through this chronicler, ultimately who he is, and who they are, and how they ought to be living for him, to be his people. So Carrie, would you... Begin our reading of Chronicles. First Chronicles, chapter 26. These of the gatekeepers. These are the divisions of the gatekeepers. 
From the Korahites, there was Meshelamiah, son of Kor, of the family of Abiaseph. The sons of Meshelamiah were Zechariah the oldest, Jediel the second, Zebediah the third, Jathniel the fourth, Elam the fifth, Jehohanan the sixth, and Elioenai the seventh. The sons of Obed-Edom, also gatekeepers, were Shimea the oldest, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, Sechor the fourth, Nethel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, and Peulathai the eighth. God had richly blessed Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom's son Shimea had sons with great ability who earned positions of great authority in the clan. Their names were Othni, Raphael, Obed, and Elzabad. Their relatives Elihu and Semachiah were also very capable men. All of these descendants of Obed-Edom, including their sons and grandsons, 62 of them in all, were very capable men, well qualified for their work. Meshelamiah's 18 sons and relatives were also very capable men. Hosa of the Mirari clan appointed Shimri as the leader among his sons, though he was not the oldest. His other sons included Hilkiah the second, Tebaliah the third, and Zechariah the fourth. Hosa's sons and relatives who served as gatekeepers numbered 13 in all. These divisions of the gatekeepers were named for their family leaders, and like the other Levites, they served at the house of the Lord. They were assigned by families for guard duty at the various gates, without regard to age or training, for it was all decided by means of sacred lots. The responsibility for the east gate went to Meshelamiah and his group. The north gate was assigned to his son Zechariah, a man of unusual wisdom. The south gate went to Obed-Edom, and his sons were put in charge of the storehouse. Shepham and Hosa were assigned the west gate and the gateway leading up to the temple. Guard duties were divided evenly. Six Levites were assigned each day to the east gate, four to the north gate, four to the south gate, and two pairs at the storehouse. Six were assigned each day to the west gate, four to the gateway leading up to the temple, and two to the courtyard. These were the divisions of the gatekeepers from the clans of Korah and Mirari. Treasurers and other officials. Other Levites, led by Ahijah, were in charge of the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries of the gifts dedicated to the Lord. From the family of Libni in the clan of Gershon, Jehiel was the leader. The sons of Jehiel, Zetham, and his brother Joel were in charge of the treasuries of the house of the Lord. These are the leaders that descended from Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. From the clan of Amram, Shubal was a descendant of Gershom, son of Moses. He was the chief officer of the treasuries. His relatives through Eliezer were Rehabiah, Jesheah, Joram, Zikri, and Shelamoth. Shelamoth and his relatives were in charge of the treasuries containing the gifts that King David, the family leaders, and the generals and captains and other officers of the army had dedicated to the Lord. These men dedicated some of the plunder they had gained in battle to maintain the house of the Lord. Shelamoth and his relatives also cared for the gifts dedicated to the Lord by Samuel the seer, Saul, son of Kish, Abner, son of Ner, and Joab, son of Zuriah. All the other dedicated gifts were in their care, too. From the clan of Izhar came Kenaniah. He and his sons were given administrative responsibilities over Israel as officials and judges. From the clan of Hebron came Heshabiah. He and his relatives, 1,700 capable men, were put in charge of the Israelite lands west of the Jordan River. They were responsible for all matters related to the things of the Lord and the service of the king in that area. 
Also from the clan of Hebron came Jeriah, who was the leader of the Hebronites according to the genealogical records. In the 40th year, the group of David's search was made in the records, and capable men from the clan of Hebron were found at Jazer in the land of Gilead. There were 2,700 capable men among the relatives of Jeriah. King David sent them to the east side of the Jordan River and put them in charge of the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They were responsible for all matters related to God and to the king. Chapter 27 Military Commanders and Divisions This is the list of Israelite generals and captains and their officers who served the king by supervising the army divisions that were on duty each month of the year. Each division served for one month and had 24,000 troops. Joshabim, son of Zabdiel, was commander of the first division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the first month. He was a descendant of Piraz and was in charge of all the army officers for the first month. Dodai, a descendant of Ahoa, was commander of the second division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the second month. Mikloth was his chief officer. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada the priest, was commander of the 3rd division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 3rd month. This was the Benaiah who commanded David's elite military group, known as the 30. His son, Amizabad, was his chief officer. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was commander of the 4th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 4th month. Asahel was succeeded by his son, Zebediah. Shammah the Israelite was commander of the 5th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 5th month. Ira, son of Ikish from Tekoa, was commander of the 6th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 6th month. Helaz, a descendant of Ephraim from Pelan, was commander of the 7th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 7th month. Sebekiah, a descendant of Zerah from Husha, was commander of the 8th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 8th month. Abizer from Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin was commander of the 9th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 9th month. Maharai, a descendant of Zerah from Netopha, was commander of the 10th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 10th month. Benaiah from Pirathon in Ephraim was commander of the 11th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 11th month. Halid, a descendant of Othniel from Natofa, was commander of the 12th division of 24,000 troops, which was on duty during the 12th month. Leaders of the tribes. The following were the tribes of Israel and their leaders. Reuben, Eliezer, son of Zikri. Simeon. Shephatiah, son of Meekah. Levi, Hashabiah, son of Kemuel. Aaron the priests, Zadok. Judah, Elihu, a brother of David. Issachar, Amri, son of Michael. Zebulun, Ishmaiah, son of Obadiah. Naphtali, Jeremoth, son of Azrael. Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Azaziah. Manasseh, West, Joel, son of Padeah. Manasseh in Gilead, East, Ido, son of Zechariah. Benjamin, Jaziel, son of Abner. Dan, Azrael, son of Jeroham. These were the leaders of the tribes of Israel.
When David took his census, he did not count those who were younger than 20 years of age, because the Lord had promised to make the Israelites as numerous as the stars in heaven. Joab, son of Zeruiah, began the census but never finished it, because the anger of God fell on Israel. The total number was never recorded in King David's official records. Officials of David's Kingdom <coughs> Asmaveth, son of Adil, was in charge of the palace treasuries. Jonathan, son of Uzziah, was in charge of the regional treasuries throughout the towns, villages, and fortresses of Israel. Ezri, son of Kelub, was in charge of the field workers who farmed the king's lands. Shimei, from Ramah, was in charge of the king's vineyards. Zabdi, from Shephem, was responsible for the grapes and the supplies of wine. Baal-Hanan, from Geter, was in charge of the king's olive groves and sycamore fig trees in the foothills of Judah. Joash was responsible for the supplies of olive oil. Shitrei from Sharon was in charge of the cattle on the Sharon plain. Shaphat, son of Adli, was responsible for the cattle in the valleys. Obel the Ishmaelite was in charge of the camels. Jediah from Maranoth was in charge of the donkeys. Jazes the Hagrite was in charge of the king's flocks of sheep and goats. All these officials were overseers of King David's property. Jonathan, David's uncle, was a wise counselor to the king, a man of great insight and a scribe. Jehiel, the Hakmonite, was responsible for teaching the king's sons. Ahithophel was the royal advisor. Hushai, the archite, was the king's friend. Ahithophel was succeeded by Jehoiada, son of Benaiah, and by Abiathar. Joab was commander of the king's army. Amen. Amen. Listen, this is God. He's a God of detail. He's a God of order. These people are coming back from exile. And they're hearing the rich history, ultimately, of who God is and who God's people are. As it is with us, before Christ, we're in exile. <laughs> but as we come to Christ, as our eyes are open, we begin to see him for who he is and ultimately us as his people, how we're to be living how to be engaging daily God's people way back then. All these different assignments. God placed structure and order for his people. And these people are being reminded of how great their God is. Oh, that we would be reminded. Go to Romans chapter 4, verse 13 is where we're heading. We're picking back up in Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. And we're going to read through chapter 5, verse 5. We pick up with Paul's letter to the church in Rome. He goes on and he begins to say, Clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. And again, he's addressing the church because of some of the divisions that were taking place with the, the Jews that were in the church now, they've come to Christ. And then also the Gentiles who are in the church and they've come to Christ. And, and the Jews are, are, are really like, holding on to this understanding of Abraham, their father Abraham, and then the need for circumcision. To as the Gentiles... They're coming in with no, if you would, heritage of it all. But yet, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, bringing correction to the church, 
giving everyone the understanding that we are all children, Jew and Gentile, of, of Abraham. And so this is, this is amazing, you all. So he goes on here, verse 14, If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, the faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law, listen to this. Some of you should tuck away for yourself. Verse 15, for the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the, in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God has said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though in about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He has handed us over. I'm sorry. He was handed over. Jesus was to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. This is our God, you all. Paul is addressing the church. As it was for them, so it is for us today and the days to come until our Lord's return. Paul wasn't being harsh. He was just bringing out the reality of it all. Sometimes we can get so law-driven and so law-based that we forget what the law was intended for. The law was always meant and intended to show us that we're guilty. Not for us to, to, to do and to do and to do and to do to make us better, to make us, oh, look, I'm, I'm right with God, I'm right with God. No, its purpose is to always remind you that you deserve punishment. Because you're a sinner. You can't keep the law. That's the great news about Jesus, you all. And I love the fact that Jesus himself says, I didn't come to do away with the law, so lest we go through another weird teaching that's out there. No, he says, I come to fulfill the law. So in Christ, in Christ, we're not out there just running amok. No, the law is just as vital in Christ because what did he do? He fulfilled the law. 
So if I'm in Christ, the law then is fulfilled in me because of Christ. So I will honor my mother and father. I will have no other idol or God before him. I will not murder. I will not steal. You see, it's fulfilled. I'm not striving to keep it. No, I've already I looked at it, and yet I can't meet any of it. But through Christ, what God, you've made a way? You made a way? And listen, when that law is fulfilled, through Christ, this is what I keep trying to encourage you all. God, I, I do pray that you all have it. <laughs> I, listen, when you all realized, when you truly grasped the fact that you are cleansed, No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation. Free you all because of Christ. Wash clean. Wash clean. You can walk upright. So I love the story of the woman at the well. (laughs) She came to the well, (laughs) burdened, down, lonely. The women of the town. Oh, they knew her type. They wanted nothing to do with her. The men of the town used her, abused her, did whatever they want with her. She came out in the heat of the day because she couldn't go when the other women went. And you know who met her there? Jesus. Jesus. Not by accident. And they begin to have a spiritual conversation. Jesus reveals himself to her. In fact, he tells her, woman, go get your husband. (laughs) I'm the husband. Oh, you right. (laughs) He exposes her life to her. But instead of being bound by guilt and shame and collapsing at that well, she receives something that we all should receive from Christ. His love, his grace, his forgiveness. And she gets up and runs back into a town that had pegged her and labeled her for what she was. And she tells them, you all need to come here, this man that has told me everything about myself. Could you imagine the town folk that day? Well, look who's come back with confidence. Look who's come back with their head up. Look who's come back with her position. She doesn't care what they think about her any longer. She's met the Messiah. She's met God himself. That's what I've always told you all. To maintain freedom, is tra- you have to be transparent first with God. Because once you're secure there, it doesn't matter what you think of me. I'm not living to please you or to do for you. Like, ah, I'm secured in Christ. And my security in Christ is not based on your thoughts towards me. But I could be transparent with God and then I could be transparent with you all. And so when the law is fulfilled, when you are cleansed from the guilt 
and the shame and the condemnation of the life that you once lived. And that's what it's supposed to be. If you're truly a Christian, it, it's what's behind you. Is it, you're no longer. You're, you're brand new. And you're learning now how to live this out. Now how then shall I live? Well, chapter 5, going through verse 5. Therefore, so with this knowledge of all that we've heard, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by what? Faith. Faith in who? Christ. Accomplishing all that he came forth to do. Look what we have now. This is one of my favorite scriptures. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. We're no longer his enemy, you all. You're at peace with your creator. You can get up and go throughout your day with that. Have that securely rooted in you. My God. Maybe just, I mean, if you're a Christian, you just realize what, ah, wow. Man. Because I remember what it's like to be broken. I remember what it was like chasing that. (laughs) And worshiping creation and running around with just never having a sense of peace. Trying all the different religions out there, just trying to find peace. True peace comes when you're truly right with your God. Oh, Lord. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it, you all. There's nothing like it. And and when you have it, you're not just going to be quick to sell your birthright because of some temporal desire that flares up within you. No. You're holding on. You're holding on. I'm telling you. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Ah, And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing, here's this term again, God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will lead not to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. This is what God has done. He not only rescues us, redeems us, saves us, transforms us, but He secures us with Himself in us. Do you realize if you're truly a Christian, you're sealed until the day of redemption. That's why the Bible says, do not live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. And yet this message is hated, you all. This message is hated. I mean, if that doesn't awaken your mind and your heart to the level of warfare, and I can't keep saying that enough to you all. Okay, so, so, let those people be Christians. Ah, whatever. 
Why are we such a threat to the world? Because this is true. I mean, why would you just exterminate people who are productive in society? So what? Let them have their beliefs. Why do I consider that hate speech? Let them say whatever they want. It doesn't bother me. Let them just keep producing and working and being, you know, because we're supposed to be the best workers, you all. (laughs) We're to be productive people. But they're exterminating us. They're killing us. And we're doing nothing wrong. We just believe that God came for us and has set us free that we may be productive citizens here but yet kingdom-minded because we're going there. And that's the level of warfare, you all, that you're up against every day. So do you truly have faith Do you truly understand what it means to be marked as a Christian? Are you truly growing and and having a desire for what God is accomplishing in the earth in this generation? Because as long as you have breath in your body, you're purposed to live for Him. If you truly belong to Him. Go to Psalm 14. We're wrapping up. Psalm 14, verse 1 through 7. I can't encourage you enough. Get in the book of Psalms. Especially in the day and age in which we're living. I mean, every generation has its own issues. But this one, this generation, it's a hot mess. Everyone's anxious. Everyone's on edge. Everyone's ready. They're just a, a breath away of panic. And I don't make light of it, because I know what it's like. But oh, the comfort that we can find in Christ, you all. And the comfort that we can find in the book of Psalms. I mean, the whole word, the whole counsel. The book of Psalms, I keep telling you. These psalmists, I mean, especially King David. And they were so transparent. They're so transparent. And that's why I always encourage you, if you're not journaling, like I encourage you to journal. Oh, I don't want to buy a book. Well, then type on your phone, type on your laptop, do something, get it out. <laughs> write, write. I'm not a writer, just sit down. <laughs> just start pouring out your heart. But always pointing it back to God. That's what I love the most. And man, you can go back and just read through them and you just be like, God, there you are. There you are, God. And people say, well, where do I start? Well, then just start with being grateful. I mean, the world does that. I mean, the world's real quick. Oh, that's, have your gratitude journal. Have your gratitude journal. <laughs> and, there's, and actually, that's really a biblical principle. I keep telling you, the enemy will take biblical principles, kingdom principles, and try to use them to keep people bound. But tell them all about the principles of the kingdom, but will not give them the king of the kingdom. So you need a place to start? Well, start yourself a kingdom journal and what you're grateful for. 
Oh, you don't know, my life is rough. Sit down. My life was rough back in the day when I first started. Find yourself three or five things you can just be grateful. And they can't be the same things every day. Like be intentional to look for God. Sometimes you look at, you can read my journals. You ever just want to sit down one day with me? Bring a snack, though. I like a good snack, right? I like a good snack. Come and, and come sit and just grin like, oh, this guy's weird. But no, seriously. I didn't know God. I, mean, I was just like, God, who am I? What do I do? I'm going to look for you in my day. I mean, you would think I was strange back then. I try not to miss, I try to make sure I stay at a pace where I don't miss what God is doing even today, 25, 26 years later. But I used to have to pull off the side of the road. <laughs> I know you're laughing. He's like, that guy's nutty. Because the flowers, Marissa, were so beautiful. <laughs> I've never seen them before. But now I'm like, oh God. And I literally would get out of my car and my gay lover would be next to me. Where are you going? Where are you going? I just gotta go sit in his beauty. Let's lay there. And God, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Flowers today, God. You know? You know? Being Win Dixie. Do you see them? Rob, who are you seeing? I'm like, no, I'm telling you, come down this aisle. And there would be these people, and their countenance was so different than everyone else's countenance. Because they were believers. I mean, so many years we're blinded and we're missing out on what God does. And all of us in the beginning of my walk with Christ, I just want to know you. Like, I don't even know you. Why? Why are you messing with me? Why are you looking? What are you doing? Sitting on the beach and watching families and going, God, is that what you intended? I didn't need man to tell me all of this. God himself was revealing himself. I was just like, God, it's so beautiful. <laughs> like, there's just different things. Let's share that just because if you don't know where to start, just start asking him. I'm going to be grateful for I'm not telling you to get out and act weird. But I needed to, at that moment, I needed to. I needed to experience what God was showing me. I needed to, you know, get through what all that I was getting through in order to get me to where I am today. <laughs> I don't know what you need to go through. But what I do know is that your eyes need to be on Him. And like the psalmist, you need a pen. You need a pen. Psalm 14. <laughs> Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt no one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? 
They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey Him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect His people. Who will come to Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When the Lord restores His people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Listen. The world out there is wicked. It doesn't love God. It doesn't want Jesus. But ultimately in the end, God will deal. You don't have to worry about that. You just have to go forth and keep your eyes on the risen Savior. The one, the one who has called us to be filled with joy. Abundant joy. I'm going to close in Proverbs. One nugget of wisdom I'm going to throw out at you, even though there's a lot of wisdom spoken. But hopefully this one nugget will hit you. (laughs) Proverbs 19, verse 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. And he will repay you. That's beautiful. There is a way in which we are called to live, you all. And it's to honor the Lord our God. Let us worship our King. And then I'll close us in prayer.
Thank you.